You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for the March 12, 2023 Sunday reading of the Fort Collins, Coloradoan. My name is Erica Brown. Today, we will be reading the following main articles. Seeking a Return to Excellence New Loveland Police Chief Larimer County Sheriff Share Priorities by Sadie Swanson Developer Offers Home for Civil Air Patrol Aircraft No Author Credited Steady Increase in Fatal Crashes at Daylight Saving Change by Miles Bloomhart and following up with miscellaneous articles. Seeking a Return to Excellence New Loveland Police Chief Larimer County Sheriff Shared Priorities by Sadie Swanson Loveland Police Chief Tim Doran's first interaction with the Loveland Police Department was back in 2019 when he was hired for a leadership position with Fort Collins Police Services after nearly three decades in federal law enforcement. The job offer came with a small catch. Doran would have to attend police academy because he had no municipal law enforcement experience. Not only were many of the academy's instructors from the Loveland Police Department, Doran was training with new recruits for the department, too. He continued training with Loveland Police after he joined Fort Collins Police when they did special division training, including the drone team. Since then, while Doran served as an assistant chief at Fort Collins Police Services, the Loveland Police Department has come under increased scrutiny. The family of Karen Garner filed a lawsuit against it in May 2021, alleging officers used excessive force when arresting Garner, who was 73 at the time and has dementia. The city settled the lawsuit for $3 million. Two of the officers involved, Austin Hopp and Daria Jalali, were criminally charged and convicted of crimes related to the arrest. Others involved left the department or were fired, and some received warnings for violating department policy. Garner's arrest and its aftermath damaged trust between the department and community, and some community members demanded then Chief Bob Tyser step down. Tyser refused, but left Colorado in 2022 after he was chosen to lead the Prescott Valley Police Department in Arizona. Doran says he's humbled to have been selected to leave the Loveland Police Department. Quotes, a wonderful department that just has some repair to do in the community. End of quote. He told the Coloradoan he hopes the community already feels like some trust is being rebuilt, and if they don't yet, he hopes they do soon. During the Karen Garner situation, my heart went out to the portion of the department that had nothing to do with it, and that didn't do anything wrong, and yet paid the full brunt of the ire of the press and the community, Doran said. I saw that there was a department filled with great people that needed some new leadership. Just like Doran, newly elected Larimer County Sheriff John Rayan was also an assistant chief with Fort Collins Police Services, working directly with Doran for four years. 
It's such a good feeling to know I can call Fort Collins and request assistance, and they would have come running anyway, but now the trust is already established, Doran said. This synergy in the county is going to be tremendous. All Larimer County law enforcement leaders meet monthly for lunch, Fayan said. So they all have working relationships with each other. But the nice thing is that we have that relationship. Already established between Fort Collins, Loveland, and the Sheriff's Office, Fayan said, making their working relationships even stronger. We're not always going to agree, and sometimes we vehemently disagree on topics, but at least we have that foundation of communication, Fayan said. Both former Fort Collins police leaders sat down with the Coloradoan recently to talk about their priorities for the Larimer County law enforcement agencies they are now leading. Return to Excellence Doran to focus on community engagement, employee well-being. Doran said he's grateful for the leadership experience he's gained with Fort Collins Police Services, the support of Loveland Police's existing leadership, and the support he's already felt from the community in his first two months as chief. As chief, Doran says he wants to focus on rebuilding community engagement and trust, improving employee wellness and retention, as well as improving traffic and reducing crime, particularly in downtown Loveland. If I were to characterize 2023, maybe put a bumper sticker on it, it would be a return to excellence, Doran said. Community engagement, trust, and transparency. I don't think any bad news gets better with time, Doran said. I think we're all human. I think we all make mistakes. I think we all should learn from them and grow from them. When mistakes are made, Doran said, the focus should be on acknowledging that and improving because of them, which could include giving an employee additional training. I do want to hold everyone in this department to an extremely high standard, but that standard is not perfection. That standard is just do the best you can and how we've trained you to be, Doran said. I'm absolutely 100% positive that we're going to be making mistakes in the future. It's how you react to that. Doran said he wants to rebuild trust in the community by engaging with the community often. He said he's already seen the community support in helping officers identify the suspects in a shooting that killed an 18-year-old and injured a 16-year-old at an East Loveland apartment complex parking lot on January 20th. Community members were very receptive to our plea for help, with nearly 100 tips coming to the department. Doran said this case is an example of where a tragedy can bring us together and not push us apart like the Karen Garner tragedy. Doran also wants to initiate a new department-wide mission statement that better reflects the goals of the agency, and he said he hopes to start the conversation with community members. Focus on department's excellence, employee well-being, and recruitment. In his first 30 days, Doran said he reorganized the entire department to better rebalance the workload and make operations more efficient. Next, Doran said he wants to focus on filling open positions and address the department's staffing shortage. The department is shy about 12 officers, and even if a new officer was hired immediately, 
it would take about a year for a new hire to complete the police academy and field training before they can respond to calls, Joran said. The department is hiring for a variety of positions, from police officers to dispatch and records department employees, Doran said. Filling these open positions will relieve the stress of an added workload on current staff, make it easier for staff to take time off for re required trainings and free them up for additional trainings opportunities that could be beneficial, Doran said. The more we can take care of our employees, the more likely we'll be able to continue to recruit and continue to have people who want to serve their community in this profession," Doran said. I do want our department to be known for their excellence in how we police. But Doran said they won't lower their standards as a department just to fill those openings. Did we, as profession, lower our standards and allow people to wear a badge that shouldn't? Doran said reflecting on recent incidents of police misconduct locally and nationally. Criminals with badges just turns our stomachs as chiefs of police to think what's happening out there. A proactive approach. Fayan prioritizes crimes against children investigations, mental health. Fayan previously worked at the Larimer County Sheriff's Office for nearly 20 years before leaving in 2018 to take a leadership role at the Fort Collins Police Services. Fayan said he always wanted to be a leader in everything he's been a part of, from school to law enforcement, in part because he likes setting the direction for a group. I've been fortunate enough that opportunities have been given to me and roadblocks have been taken out of the way in several aspects throughout my life, and I'd like to do that same kind of thing for other people. And it's easier to do from a leadership position, Fan said. Fan hopes to have a proactive approach to internet crimes against children and child exploitation, focus on mental health within the department and the community, and use data to drive proactive enforcement decisions. Among his main goals, Fayan also hopes to spend the start of his term getting more acquainted with county jail operations and emergency management leading into wildfire season. Proactive Approach for Crimes Against Children Fayan said there's more that can be done to proactively address internet crimes against children and child exploitation online. He said he is looking to add to the team at the sheriff's office already doing this work specifically someone to focus on the computer, analy computer analytics and social media aspect of these investigations. Fayan said there is room for investigators to step in earlier in these investigations, like taking over the account of someone interacting with a person who has posted an advertisement or soliciting a date from a child or teenager, with permission of the second of the account user. Correction, with the permission of the account user. Doing so can keep children from being placed in an, in an even more dangerous situation, Fan said. Fan hopes to focus some of his work on mental health in the department and out in the community. Part of that includes growing the mental health co-responder program, which recently expanded its reach into Thompson School District. The sheriff's office can also continue to improve its mental health and well-being and wellness to support for its employees, Fayan said. 
Deputies were involved in a high number of shootings and other critical incidents in 2022, and there has already been another critical incident response team investigation this year involving the Sheriff's Office. The results of that, of that investigation, which is looking into the death of a man who was hit by a car after deputies deployed a taser during a traffic stop, have not yet been released. That's going to take a toll. It takes a toll at some point, Van said. We take care of our folks physically. I need to make sure we have that proactive approach to keeping folks healthy mentally as well. A data-driven approach. We need to let analytics drive some of our decision-making processes to ensure good response times and utilize resources most effectively, Fayan said. It can be hard to measure of a tactic, like, an, like extra patrols in a neighborhood to decrease burglaries, because it isn't always clear if that tactic worked or if other factors were in play, Fayan said. Like if the person committing those burglaries left town or was arrested on another charge. But using data to look at caseloads and response times can help better balance staffing, shift resources, and the budget. I'm just beginning to explore what we have currently and where I want to go with additional data collection and analysis, Fan said. Developer offers home for civil air patrol aircraft. No author credited. Larimer County's Civil Air Patrol Squadron, which provides air support for search and rescue, firefighting, and other emergency services, has found a new home for its Cessna 182 airplane. Beyond May 1st, when it will have to leave its hangar at Northern Colorado Regional Airport in Loveland. Water Valley Co Company President Martin Lind this week offered free hangar space to CAP at his Discovery Air project adjacent to the Loveland Airport. Lind wrote in a letter to the CAP Major Mike Fossey that he couldn't identify the exact location yet because it's nearing capacity at Discovery's Torrey Peaks hangar, but I will assure you that your patrol can remain at our airport until this mess with the eviction is solved. Lind a frequent critic of the airport and its management, said he was astonished to hear CAP was being evicted without notice going into the wildfire season, and just felt I needed to step up and make a difference. Civil Air Patrol and owners of 57 other planes hangared at the Loveland Airport were notified recently that their hangar leases will be cancelled in May or October due to structural issues with the aging buildings. The notifications leave dozens of private aircraft owners with nowhere to house their planes if a solution is not found before the end of their leases. After hearing protests from dozens of aircraft owners, the Northern Colorado Airport Commission, made up of representatives from the cities of Fort Collins and Loveland, which co-own the airport, asked the owners to come up with with, with viable sorry, correction asked the owners to come up with viable options for replacing the airport hangars. They have until the Commission's April meeting to present alternatives. Bossy told Fort Collins City Council on Tuesday that the lack of hangar space would significantly hamper CAP's ability to provide emergency services, 
If its pilot and crews had to drive an hour to Greeley, the next best option to house its aircraft, before getting its plane in the air. He asked counsel to take a step back and come up with a viable option for people who have paid the bill at the airport for the last 30 years and think about the first responders having to go to an airport 60 minutes away. The 58 hangar leases generate about $175,000 a year in airport revenue. Lynn's offer is a big first step to remaining in Loveland, Fossey said. It would be ideal. Torrey's Peak, the first of four buildings at Lynn's Discovery Air, was completed in late 2021 on the southern end of Lear Drive, near the edge of the airport. Study Increase in Fatal Crashes at Daylight Saving Change by Miles Plumhart. Sleep isn't the only thing you lose when daylight saving time springs the clock forward an hour. You also are at an increased risk of losing your life in a vehicle crash, according to a 2020 University of Colorado study. Daylight saving time begins Sunday. Key findings of University of Colorado study on daylight savings time traffic impacts. Researchers analyzed 732,835 crashes through the U.S. fatality anal analysis reporting system from 1996 to 2017, excluding Arizona and Indiana where daylight saving time was not consistently observed. U.S. fatal crashes spiked 6% during the work week after daylight saving time began, resulting in an additional 28 deaths each year. The bulk of the additional fatal crashes occurred in the morning. A notable spike occurred in 2007, when the Energy Policy Act extended daylight saving time to the second Sunday of March instead of that first Sunday in April. Those in the western edge of their time zone may be more vulnerable, as they average about 19 minutes less sleep per day than their counterparts in the east part of the zone because the sun rises and sets later, but they still have to be at work when everyone else does. Changes in Crash patterns also occur after the clocks fall back an hour in, in the autumn, with a decline in morning crashes and spike in evening crashes. However, the two balance each other out during fall back week. These are the most at-risk groups for drowsy driving, according to the National Sleep Foundation. Males under the age of 25 Night shift work can increase risk of drowsy driving by nearly six times. At least 15% of all commercial long-haul driver truck crashes involve fatigue and sleep-deprived driving. Those with untreated sleep apnea have up to seven times the risk of falling asleep at the wheel. Business travelers who spend long hours driving or may be jet-lagged. Eight warning signs of drowsy driving, according to the Colorado Department of Transportation. Finding it hard to focus on the road, frequent blinking or heavy eyelids. Starting to daydream, wandering eyes and having disconnected thoughts. 
having trouble remembering the last few minutes driven. Missing an exit or ignoring traffic signs. Yawning repeatedly or rubbing your eyes. Finding it hard to keep your head up or nodding off. Drifting from your lane, tailgating, or hitting a, sh a shoulder rumble strip. Feeling restless and irritable, becoming aggravated with common annoyances such as sitting in traffic. For more information on prevention tips against drowsy driving, visit https colon slash slash www.nhtsa.gov slash risky driving slash drowsy driving with hyphens between risky driving and between drowsy driving. Drake Road Closure Begins by Miles Bloomhart Starting Sunday, Saturday, March 11th, westbound Drake Road will be closed at Dunbar Avenue to just east of Constitution Avenue for approximately one week to allow the city to complete curb and gutter repair following a recent water main break. Alternate routes are encouraged. Access to residences and businesses will remain open, the City of Fort Collins wrote in a news release. The project conducted by the city's utilities and streets departments will improve aesthetics and drainage along Drake Road. Typical working hours will be from 7.30 a.m. to 5.30 p.m., but work may occur outside these times or on the weekends in order to expedite the project and reduce impacts. Closure time is subject to weather. For more information, visit https colon slash slash fcgov.com slash fctrip slash. Date of Spring Plant Sale Set by Aaron Udell Gearing up for gardening season? So is the gardens on Spring Creek. The city-run botanical garden, 2145 Center Avenue, has announced dates for its annual spring plant sale, which boasts more than 30,000 locally grown annuals, perennials, herbs, vegetables, and hanging baskets. The sale will take place at the gardens on Spring Creek from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., May 20th through 21st. Reservations for shopping time slots can be made starting May 2nd for gardens on Spring Creek members and May 4th for the general public. A list of plants available at the sale will be posted to fcgov.com gardens in late April. Once for the Old Albertsons are Recreation, Retail, and Housing by Rebecca Powell. A couple of weeks ago, Coloradoan conversations floated this question. If Fort Collins is going to buy the North College Albertsons, how should it shape its future? The way the question was worded assumes the city will indeed complete the purchase after the Fort Collins Urban Renewal Authority Board voted unanimously to have staff begin the process of making offers to the property owners. City staff said they have contacted the building's owners and are hopeful for consensual sales. In the event that doesn't happen, eminent domain would allow the URA to take private property for public use, though the URA says that's the last resort only, 
usually in rare and exceptional circumstances, where all reasonable efforts to acquire the private property consensually have failed. The city's plan now, if it does acquire the land, is to create a cultural and community hub, potentially with an affordable housing element, according to Colorado in reporting. City staff said the plan stems from years of outreach done by city staff and outlined in the renewal plan. Ideas for the former North College Albertson site. Here's what people in our Colorado in Conversations discussion said they wanted or suggested would be a good use of the property. Along the vein of the city's idea for community center are a couple of ideas. Some and amenities in the, that Mid and South Fort Collins already have. A library, pool rec center, parks like Fossil Creek, Spring Canyon, and Twin Silo, Mark B. A swimming pool or gym with an awesome kids play area would be my vote. Something akin to Windsor Pool, which we currently drive 40 minute, 45 minutes to use because it is better than anything in Fort Collins, Kimberly R. It would be nice if it had an indoor market vibe with activities for kids. We, didn't, we need an indoor playground badly, Kimberly J. But some commenters expressed wishes for retail options, Fred C. said. If there's any intent to revitalize North College, then this building needs to be something that attracts people with money to spend. No two ways about it. Retail desires include an Aldi or Trader Joe's, or both, Kathy H. Food court with a bar option like Zeppelin Station in Denver's R-I-N-O neighborhood. Anthony D. One idea involving retail sought to solve another problem. Raising Cane's restaurant was looking to build a restaurant at the intersection of college and, and Willicks Lane. May I suggest that the fried chicken restaurant look into buying the Albertsons Market at that intersection and renovate it into a fantastic restaurant that will draw paying customers to the section of North College? It would be a far better use of this building. Ray H. My hope for the old Albertsons would be an organic grocer, like Sprouts or National Natural Grocer, for us Northsiders. A farmer's market and part of the parking lots on weekends would be awesome, too. Karen M. Ideal structure for an indoor shooting range, Evelyn F. New urgent care and a pharmacy or drugstore, Kristen S. The land could address the city's housing needs, some said. All of the developers that somehow keep getting approved to build elsewhere should instead be steered to this area. Seems like this would be a higher d density corridor with subsidized housing dream solutions for city council then use the taxpayer money instead to buy the completely undeveloped land that would have become housing to become open space. Most of the taxpayers seem to be pro-open space. Win-win. Matthew P. Or a mix of housing and retail, others said. Amy T. said, Would like to see a series of small, reasonably priced specialty shops for entrepreneurs creating an enterprise zone for this part of town. I think it would be nice not only to have housing for the unhomed, but again, support for artists or small business owners to get started. It would be nice for it to have a relaxed, more bohemian feel 
to it because after living in Fort Collins for over 40 years, we have lost that feel, slowly over time. Every nook and cranny of the complex should be met with some sort of excitement and interest in order to attract an, an artsy feel to it. In other words, anything unlike the behemoth mall south of town, which is a real turnoff, especially for someone who has lived here for a while and is recognizing Fort Collins has lost a lot of its charm. An artisan bakery would be a plus. Multifamily housing, mixed-use retail, transportation infrastructure, Matt H. Multifamily housing with shops, Beth W. A significant part of the conversation focused on whether the land could be a solution for people experiencing homeless, or whether it could attract undesirable behaviors. Fort Collins is looking into buying the old Albertsons. The Fort Collins Rescue Mission wants to build a huge center just a block down. Why not cut the mission out of it and just consolidate the resources to assist people facing homelessness, low income, being overcharged on rent, etc., at the old Albertsons? The Fort Collins branch of the food bank for Larimer County is less than a block from there. Regina K. But others said a resource for the homeless is exactly what the site should not be. Building a new rescue shelter in a vague community center will attract more of what neighbors and businesses don't want there. My fear with the new larger shelter, proposed by Fort Collins Rescue Mission, is that it will become an overflow station for Denver's homeless, since the Denver Rescue Mission and Fort Collins Rescue Mission are connected. I see the development of these two projects as a homeless magnet, with no evidence that the city or the police have much intention to control homeless behavior in the daylight hours. Margaret H. Anne F. cited her concerns, as a nearby resident, with turning the Albertsons into a resource center. Homeless encampments, fights, drug use, garbage and carts full of possessions left on the streets. I have lived in the area for 15 years and have seen too many to count homeless people passed out on sidewalks and police and fire responding. One time went to King Super's mid-morning and there were four different units responding to overdoses. The park I live by is constantly occupied by homeless people. Most are respectful but a few are mentally ill and scream and yell at you and chase you away. I've seen homeless people bare naked in the ditch by the McDonald's while waiting for food. Also seen some defecating and urinating in front of the Albertsons' empty store. I have reported to police and was told there is nothing they can do about it unless they see it. Conversation starters. Should vertical construction be limited along I-25 in Larimer County? In late February, Colorado wildlife officials sent Tinnet town leaders a, state, a letter stating that they are very concerned about the potential negative impacts to wildlife from the top golf entertainment venue that's planned as part of the, the later's development southeast of the Interstate 25 Harmony Road exit. Ladera development, not later's. Colorado Parks and Wildlife leaders shared concerns about netting up to 175 feet tall, snaring, injuring, and potentially killing the birds and bats that rely on the nearby Poudre River and various reservoirs for food and shelter. The town and developers have pledged to spend the next two months 
studying the potential environmental impacts associated with Topgolf's proposed location. Zooming out a bit from Tinneth, there are several significant bodies of water within one to two miles east or west of the one of the I-25 corridor in Larimer County, including the Poudre River, Big Thompson River, Fossil Creek Reservoir, Tinneth Reservoir, Boyd Lake, and Cobb Lake. Knowing that the future development in the Fort Collins-Loveland metro area will look to grow vertically along I-25, and that the interstate now provides some of the area's best unobstructed views of the Rocky Mountains, what, if any, development considerations or restrictions would you like county and town leaders to adopt to preserve open vertical spaces along the corridor? Click on the View Comments box at the top or bottom of this story at coloradoan.com slash opinion to join the conversation. What do you make about misinformation? The Northern Colorado Deliberative Journalism Project invites community members to a conversation about misinformation. On Wednesday, join with others to discuss the concept of misinformation in small groups with a twist, gamification, which involves implementing elements of a game into public discourse. This program will be led by Willow Paul from the CSU Center for Public Deliberation. Get more details about the event at the bottom of this story. In advance of the event, we'd like to start at a Colorado conversation about the impacts of misinformation. First, read through the viewpoints below developed by the CPD and think about these four prompts. Which viewpoints most closely matches your own? Which viewpoint has you thinking differently? Which viewpoint would you push back on? What viewpoints are missing? 1. I am concerned that the growth of misinformation is endangering and undermining democracy, eroding the trust in each other and our institutions. We must have some sort of baseline of facts and mutual understanding about reality in order for a diverse democracy to function. 2. I am concerned that certain bad-faith political actors, foreign and domestic, media companies, and conflict entrepreneurs are taking advantage of human nature and profiting while taking advantage of our own political processes and support for free speech. 3. I am concerned that any treatment of misinformation may be worse than the disease. Efforts to address misinformation can too easily fall into politically motivated censorship and go against American ideals of free speech and open inquiry. We must be careful not to give anyone the power of being the final arbiters of truth. 4. I am concerned that misinformation is undermining our trust in science, impacting its quality and its ability to help us solve problems and address our greatest societal challenges. 5. I am concerned that misinformation is more of a symptom of broader issues, such as polarization and hyperpartisanship. Any efforts to address misinformation that do not address those issues will inherently be limited. 6. I am concerned that a primary cause of misinformation are the huge tech companies that have prof profited from platforms and algorithms that divide, you, that divide us and spread misinformation. 7. 
I am concerned that our educational systems have failed to adapt to the new realities of the information age and provide everyone with the necessary research and critical thinking skills to make distinctions between quality and problematic information. 8. I am concerned that a primary cause of the misinformation is the collapse of trust in and capacity of our key civic institutions, particularly local journalism. Without gatekeepers or honest brokers of information for people to rely on, misinformation and bad, bad faith actors unfortunately flourish. 9. I am concerned that the focus on misinformation is overblown. The impacts can be exaggerated, and misinformation has been part of a free society from the beginning. The event is at 6 p.m. Wednesday, March 15th, at the Old Town Library, 201 Peterson Street. It's part of The Scoop, No Co-Community Conversations, which explores important local issues each month. Registration through PudreLibraries.org is encouraged. Click on Events and Online Calendar. Obituaries Christine Haggerty, Johnstown Christine Tabone Haggerty, 74, of Johnstown, died March 9, 2023. Recitation of the Rosary will begin at 1.30 p.m. Monday, March 13, 2023, at St. Joseph Catholic Church followed by Mass of Christian Burial at 2 p.m. Interment will be, heard, will be held at a later date at Grandview Cemetery. Please visit Christine's tribute page at goesfuneralcare.com to read her full obituary and to share condolences with her family. George H. Thompson, Ph.D. Fort Collins George Herbert Thompson, 87, died Wednesday, March 1, 2023, in Fort Collins, Colorado. He is survived by his wife, Jane Seeley Thompson, daughter Barbara Thompson, daughter Hilary Thompson, brother-in-law Edward Seeley, sister-in-law Helen Seeley Slaughter, and many nieces and nephews. No services planned. Please visit George's tribute page at goesfuneralcare.com to read his full obituary and share condolences with his family. Frank Kekaba, Fort Collins Frank Kekaba, aged 86, died at his Fort Collins home on December 15, 2022. A memorial service is planned for June 4 at Cheyenne National Cemetery. Visit goesfuneralcare.com to read his full obituary, view pictures, and get service updates. Kenneth James Miller, Fort Collins. Kenneth James Miller of Fort Collins, age 94, joined the Lord on February 21, 2023. He was preceded in death by his wife of 72 years, Ramona Ruth Miller. His celebration of life will be at 10 o'clock a.m. on Saturday, March 25, 2023, at First United Methodist Church, 1005 Stover Street, Fort Collins, Colorado. Reception following service. See BolanderFuneralChapel.com for more commemorating his full life. 
Richard E. King, Fort Collins. Richard Edward King, 69, of Fort Collins, passed away February 19, 2023. A memorial service will begin at 3 p.m. Saturday, April 1, 2023, at the Drake Center, 802 West Drake Road, Fort Collins, Colorado, 80526. There will also be an online Zoom video conference option to do the service. Please visit Richard's tribute page at goesfuneralcare.com to read his full obituary, for more service details, and to share condolences with his family. Daniel Dan Sturmitz, Fort Collins Daniel Sturmitz, 58, was born April 7, 1967, in Logan, Utah, to Frank and Patricia Sturmitz. His family moved to Fort Collins in 1967. In 1970, Dan enrolled at Gateway. After graduating Fort Foothills Gateway, he continued his, in its community programs until 2021. He ended his career with Otero Day Program. Mosaic supported Dan's adult residences, first at Royal House and for the last 10 years in the loving home of Kate and Adrian Alvarado and Dylan. Dan died under beef hospice care at home in Severance, March 5th. Dan loved rooms full of laughter, music, sunshine, life on the go with the Alvarados, Gretchen's Colorado visits, and walks with his father. Deepest gratitude to all the wonderful people who helped Dan live a full and happy life, including special friends at Foothills, Mosaic, and Otero. Dan is survived by his parents, Frank and Patricia, Fort Collins, siblings, Tom, F.C., Joe, Karen, The Road, Gretchen Kissuk, Kelly, Davis, C.A., Winnemucca, oh, correction, and Matt Winnemucca, five nephews and two nieces. A memorial service will be held at Bolander Funeral Chapel Tuesday, March 14th at 10 a.m. If desired, donations in Dan's name may be made to Mosaic or Foothills Gateway. Visit BolanderFuneralChapel.com to share memories. William T. Bill Ward III Fort Collins William T. Bill Ward III 87, of Fort Collins, passed away January 26, 2023. Memorial service Thursday, March 16, 2 p.m., Timberline Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Arrangements handled by Bolander Funeral Chapel, full obituary found at www.bolanderfuneralchapel.com. Hilary May Meslow Johnstown. Hilary May Meslow, 44, of Johnstown, Colorado, sadly left us on Wednesday, March 8th, after she bravely battled cancer for, cancer for over a year. She is survived by Corey Meslow, husband, Ella, four-year-old daughter, and Aiden, two-year-old son. There will be a viewing on Monday, March 13th, from 4 p.m. to 8 p.m., and the funeral service will be on Tuesday, March 14th, at 2 p.m., followed by a reception.
All services will be at Resthaven Memory Garden and Funeral Home at 8426 US 287, College Avenue, Fort Collins, Colorado. Hillary was born on March 28, 1978, in North Platte, Nebraska, to proud parents Wesley and Susan Bremenkamp. She was an excellent student and classmate, attending University of Nebraska, and received a bachelor's degree in biology. She moved to Fort Collins after her parents relocated to be closer to her brother Eric. She was loved by many at her work at the Larimer County Pre-Trial Services, where she worked for 20 years. She had a close bond with her brother and was very strong in her faith. She never wavered in the worst of times with her struggle with this ravaging disease. She will be greatly missed, and the world is brighter having had someone so full of life in it. We were married at Maroon Bells in Aspen, Colorado, on July 13, 2015, exactly one year after our first date. I love you so much, honey. Our beautiful children will remind me of your kind soul for the rest of my life. Please visit www.resthavencolorado.com to leave a memory of or condolence. Daryl Max Moser, Fort Collins. Daryl Max Moser. Daryl Moser went to his heavenly home on February 22, 2023. He left a legacy of achievement and kindness. When he retired from his corporate position, his time was often spent in his garage with the door open. Children gathered there to learn woodworking skills, one of Daryl's passions, and to be tutored and occupied in a creative endeavor. Neighbor kids and grandkids, all kids, were welcomed there and treated to a genuine friendship by Bacamo, which translates to Grandpa Moser. Over the years, he created many beautiful pieces which he had gifted to his family and friends with great generosity. These will be treasured by his family for many... Uh, correction. These will be treasured by many generations. Daryl was born in Graceville, Minnesota, to Robert and Doris Vedemeyer. So, to Robert and Doris Vedemeyer, Moser, on July 26, 1936. He was an all-around athlete, playing several sports at Graceville High, where he graduated in 1955. He joined the Navy soon afterward, and served from 1956 to 58, which created a lifelong love of sailing. Later in life, he sailed with the crew, who raced from Catalina Island down the coast of California. He married Mary Huby in 1956, and then welcomed three children, Sandy, Cindy, and Jeff. His professional life kept him busy. He rose through the ranks to become the project manager for ECHO, where he worked for 34 years. ECHO was the most popular kitchen utensil manufacturer in the country at that time. He made the jump to California for a promotion within the company in 1973. After he parted ways with Mary, 
He remained a bachelor until he met and married Bonnie Bailey Tanner in December of 1977. They celebrated their 45th wedding anniversary this past December. And, over those years, so many of the children and grandkids shared wonderful, memorable visits with their beloved Bacamo. He was fortunate to retire at the young age of 55 in 1991, which gave him the chance to perfect his woodworking skills. After retirement, he and Bonnie gave freely of their time and talents at mission schools in Hawaii and Kentucky. Bonnie taught the children, as was her profession, and Daryl took on the role of handyman. In 2000, they moved to Fort Collins, where the garage door was again opened to kids, and they joined the Harmony Presbyterian Church. His adventurous spirit also enjoyed traveling all over the world, and he had the opportunity to visit many places, including Africa, Australia, China, Middle East, Scandinavia, Central America, Europe, Canada, and the United Kingdom. In spite of having Parkinson's disease for the past several years, he kept going and filled a bucket with stories and remembrances. Preceded in death by his parents, his siblings Joy and Bob, an infant daughter, Lori Jean, and his son-in-law, Steve Trimmer, Daryl is survived by his brothers Lauren, Merlin, Pat, and his sister Dona, Dallas, Nelson. He is also survived by his beloved children and grandchildren he shares with his first wife, Mary, Mary Hruby, Sandy Trimmer, Cindy, Ed, Hooper, and Jeff, Mary, Moser, and grandchildren Michael, Robin, Roberts, and Jennifer, Chris, Williams. Fossil, back in title game, with win over Regis Jesuit, by Chris Abshire. The Foss this Fossil Ridge boys basketball team is right back where it ended last season, in the state championship game. And the refrain is all too simple. One more! The third-seeded Sabercats held off number 7 Regis Jesuits, 66-62, in the Colorado Class 6A Final Four on, fi on Friday afternoon in the Denver Coliseum, booking a return trip to the state finals. I can't even quantify how proud I am of them, said Sabercats coach Matt Johansson. This time, they'll look to change the ending after falling to Thunder Ridge 58-49 in the last season's 5A Finals. Johansson added, when we were in this building last year, they said, let's run it back. I said, that's not how it works, guys. But they put it in the work and stayed focused from last March to this March. That's a testament to them. It's certainly a remarkable achievement for Fossil Ridge, which is making its third title game appearance in ten seasons. To be in position again to win a state championship is such a great feeling, Fossil Ridge senior Colin Hayes said. One more, though. Just have to go finish the job this time. Here are three takeaways from the Sabercats semifinal win. Sabercats stay strong late. Regis Jesuit and legendary coach Ken Shaw, third all-time in Colorado coaching wins, made sure this one didn't come easy.
At various times, it looks like Fossil Ridge might run away with the game. A surge out of the halftime break pushed the Sabercats' six-point advantage all the way to 38-25 for the largest lead of the game, and Fossil Ridge was rolling behind big buckets from Hayes and Drew Larson. The team collectively was ready to go and win a game, Hayes said. We wanted to get back out there. But the Raiders never went quietly, constantly cutting the lead to within two possessions behind the dynamic guards Taria Fulcher and Joe Dora, Dore, who combined for 19 fourth-quarter points. It was Fossil Ridge's experience that showed in a big way. This group has been here before, playing its fifth game at the Coliseum in the past 12 months. The Sabercats made the clutch plays late. They made 10 of their 15 free throws in the final quarter and got stopped at the most crucial moments, never allowing Regis Jesuit to get within one possession. I wasn't surprised they made a run, Johansson said. That's what they've done every game. Thank goodness we withstood it. Fossil Ridge shows scoring versatility, again. In typical Fossil fashion, Nick Randall was often the ringleader, scoring 18 points and throwing down a massive first-half dunk. After Randall dropped 31 on Fort Collins in the Great Eight, this was a far more well-rounded scoring effort from the 10-senior squad. Ty Brown and Drew Larson each hit a couple three-pointers to key the first-half scoring. Hayes nearly matched Randall with 15 points, and Dominic Leone added 11. For a second straight game, Cooper McMillan had one of the game's biggest buckets with a fourth-quarter three-pointer off the bench. We're such a deep team, Hayes said. That shot by Coop was huge. It's really fun to play with a team like this because anybody can go get baskets. Even though Nick gets the focus, a lot of us can do the same thing. Sabercats look to take a final leap. The mission now? Change the ending as Fossil Ridge is a two-time state runner-up, 2014 and 2022, and still looking for the school's first-ever state basketball championship. And make no mistake, the state title return is an expectation, but not considered a right, with the final four wins sparking a big celebration as Fossil players jump into the arms of the student section. After all, this team did lose leading scorer Brock Meshack and fellow senior Will Hem off last year's runner-up squad. Hayes said this one is even more satisfying with a senior group that has been together for years. There's definitely a different feeling, Hayes said. It's amazing, really. We've been on a mission and we don't want second this time. While Johansson said he understands the stakes and the magnitude, he wants the Sabercats to remember how fun it's been getting back here. They're very focused, but I also want them to remember this, the 19th year Fossil Ridge coach said. Let's create a memory and hopefully get something to cherish for the rest of our lives. Thank you for joining us for the Fort Collins Coloradoan. My name is Erica Brown. AINC programming is brought to you in part by funds from the Virginia W. Hill Foundation. AINC presents your Low Vision Resource of the Day. Today we would like to highlight the Division of Vocational Rehabilitation. 
This organization helps individuals with disabilities prepare for, obtain, advance in, and maintain employment. Learn more by visiting www.colorado.gov slash pacific slash dvr slash services dash dvr or by calling 303-866-2500 or emailing cdle underscore voc dot rehab at state dot co dot us. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777. The Audio Information Network of Colorado. Bringing print to life, to life, to life.